This week in San Francisco, our Board of Education President, Matt Haney, announced that he plans on introducing a resolution to consider changing the names of several schools in San Francisco. Apparently some people already know about it. Specifically, he would like to recommend that we change the name of George Washington High School here in the Richmond because Washington had a, quote, problematic history as a slave owner. Instead, he suggests, and I didn't know this, that Maya Angelou, who is a graduate of Washington High School, be the new name of Washington High School. What's so interesting is, as you can already see in the room, it has sparked a lot of conversation. As you don't even need to imagine. I wrote, as you may imagine, but it's like I planted them. And it, honestly, I, it came to my attention because as some of you were here on Wednesday night, we hosted a forum of all the candidates for school board in San Francisco, and Matt Haney is up for re-election, and he was one of the candidates that joined us. And so I had set a Google alert to all of their names, and I got an email beforehand with what became national coverage of his suggestion. I have to admit, I had a strong initial reaction to his proposal, maybe not quite like some of those in the room. My husband, David, considers Washington a personal hero and has read countless biographies about our first president. He's already started reading children's books about Washington to our children and regularly tries to explain to our two-year-old how America would not exist without this fearless military commander and politician. There's a little statue of him that we got in Boston in his room. <laughs> but mostly, the more I thought about it, I placed the proposal within the context of a national conversation about racism that's going on in our country and about recent movements to rename schools within higher education institutions. This past year alone, students at Princeton protested that the university should remove United States President and former President of Princeton, Woodrow Wilson's name from the School of Public and International Affairs. Because of his well-established racism, he supported segregation, he praised the KKK, and the New York Times editorial board actually endorsed the student's request. But Princeton ultimately decided to keep Wilson's name on the school and agreed that it needs to quote unquote, be honest and forthcoming about its history. This requires transparency in recognizing Wilson's failings and shortcomings, as well as the visions and achievements that led to the naming of the school and the college in the first place. At the same time, students at Yale petitioned to rename Calhoun College, named after John C. Calhoun, the seventh vice president of the United States, and a notorious proponent of slavery, who argued before Congress that seen in its true light, slavery is the most safe and stable basis for free institutions in the world. Yale announced in April that it has decided to retain the name of the college, while starting a historical study examining the lesser known people, events, and narratives behind the familiar facades on campus. Jonathan Holloway, who's a historian and is the first African-American dean of Yale College said, I'm no fan of Calhoun, the individual or his ideas, 
but I'm not a big fan of the other people of whom our colleges are named, who owned slaves or who profited from the slave trade. My point is that if we are to change the name of Calhoun, we had better be prepared to change many, many, many names on campus, perhaps even the name of the university itself. And the Calhoun name is useful as a tool to hold Yale accountable for the decisions it's made. Yale's president, Peter Salovey, said, universities have to be the places where tough conversations happen. I don't think that is advanced by hard hiding our past. I don't think that it's advanced by hiding our past. Both these professors' words point to the deeper underlying questions at this debate. How do we relate to the flawed heroes of our past? When we learn the quote-unquote truth about our mythic forebears, what do we do with their legacies? Literally, how do we remember their names? Sociologists John Turnbridge and Gregory Ashworth describe this dilemma as dissonant heritage. When we are faced with places that are too significant, too useful, too massive, or too valuable, yet at the same time they remind us of a history we'd rather forget. Heritage is supposed to be the part of history that we want to identify with, but when there is too much bad history mixed in the heritage, we are often at a loss as to what to do. I don't want to imply that no name can ever be changed, or that there is a simple answer to the question of George Washington, or Woodrow Wilson, or John C. Calhoun. I had a different initial reaction to taking down the Confederate flag at a county courthouse, or even to changing the name from the Stanford Indians to the Cardinal in the 70s. But I am fascinated with how we relate and teach our history both as a rabbi and an educator. In this week's Torah portion, Shoftim, we read in Deuteronomy 17, 18. When the king of Israel is seated on his royal throne, he shall have a copy of this teaching written for him on a scroll by the Levitical priests. Mishneh Torah Chazot, literally, Mishneh Torah Chazot, a copy of this teaching, shall sit next to the king while he's on his throne. Our colleague, Rabbi Oren Hayon from Temple Emmanuel in Houston, points out that the mitzvah to produce copies of the Torah is embedded within the book of Deuteronomy, which itself is a small-scale replica of the rest of the Torah. It's a delightful image to contemplate, sacred copies of sacred copies spiraling like the parchment paper of a Sefer Torah winding in upon themselves in an ever-tightening coil of holy text. Deuteronomy literally is the second telling, it's the retelling. And it's interesting that within that retelling is yet another retelling hundreds of years later. In Judaism, we repeat, we reinterpret, we re-remember. Sometimes we even say things with an irony or followed by an immediate commentary, but we don't delete. Even in the early leadership of the reform movement, who sought to rationalize and modernize Jewish tradition, they kept every word of the Torah, if not necessarily the Talmud. But they kept every word of the Torah. Because as my teacher, Stanford professor Sam Weinberg, once wrote, moral judgment makes for lousy history. It's an even lousier tool for tikkun hamidot, 
the never-ending process of human perfection and growth towards decency. Weinberg advocates striving instead for what philosopher Robert Tracy McKenzie calls moral reflection, in which our meeting with those who come before us is an attempt to understand who we are. This kind of meeting requires that we make ourselves vulnerable to the past. He says at stake in this encounter is not the judgment of our predecessors' blemishes, but an attempt to hold a mirror to our own faces. This mirror does not whisper that we are the fairest of them all, but calls on us to examine our foibles and reflect on what we consider to be the source of ultimate meaning. That strikes me as the heart of Elul, this period leading up to the High Holidays, this period of moral reflection. It's a time when we reflect on our past, on our history, on our ancestors. We have our own problematic history as individual Jews, whether it is how we cheated on that high school exam, or the way we broke up with our first love, or how we unfairly treated an employee. But we also really believe in tshuva, in the ability and obligation to change for the better, to be honest but not destructive in our evaluation of our past choices. It strikes me that Jewish history is about rewriting, recopying, retelling, but not deleting our past, of facing and honoring our ancestors, even the complicated ones, and doing it with kavod, but also with a certain level and a certain authority in deeply questioning who they were, and more importantly, what they mean to us, how we learn from them, and how we build upon their legacies. So I don't have an easy answer for Commissioner Haney's proposal, despite my initial reticence. But I do think it pushes us, as do the student protests at Yale and at Princeton, to think about what does it mean when we name something? How do we relate to those in our past? How do we retain who they were that was good for us while not hiding away from the pieces of them that we no longer value? On this, Elul, as we enter the new year, like the ruler in Parshat Shoftim, like the king of Israel, let us lead our lives with our history next to us. Let us read those stories and find a way to make new meaning out of them for our community and ourselves. Shabbat Shalom.